his son Jesus Christ and to honor them and to study his word for a while together. The title of the lesson is Alcohol, Drugs, and the Deeds of Darkness. Um, just haven't talked much about these problems very recently. I know we've got young people who are coming along who need some information about this because they're facing the temptation. But all of us, I believe, need to be informed about these problems from a spiritual, scriptural standpoint. I just want to tell you that the world does not want to hear this lesson because the world is in darkness. In John chapter 3 and verse 19, Jesus said, I believe it's him talking here, this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. As we go through this lesson, we're going to see that alcohol and the misuse of it, the abuse of it, and drugs, the abuse and misuse of drugs, is a scourge on our society. It is harmful in more ways than we can number, although we're going to try to number a few of them. It's a terrible thing. Both of these are terrible things, as well as a couple of other things that we're going to mention. They are definitely deeds of darkness. The devil is happy to get people involved in these things, misusing, abusing, and overusing these substances. They are, without doubt, deeds of darkness. Well, why don't, why don't we change the laws? Why don't we do better policing it? Why don't we get rid of this stuff from our society? Why don't we, why don't we? Well, because, because most of the people who are making the laws about these things, many of the people who are voting to put the people in who are making the laws about these things, the people that you see in the television newscasts that are talking about these things are walking in darkness. And they don't want to hear the light on these topics. It's as simple as that. Alcohol and drugs can be enslaving. Can enslave a person's body, mind, and soul. The statement that alcohol and drugs can be enslaving is a little bit misleading because alcohol is a drug in and of itself. Uh, it contains ethanol that, according to uh, encyclopedia, is a flammable liquid, has a chemical compound, CH3, CH2OH. It's the intoxicating agent in liquors. It's also used as a solvent, by the way, as many of you know. So you're, if you're drinking it, you're drinking solvent, ethyl alcohol or grain alcohol, it's sometimes also called. Substance abuse and misuse of such things as alcohol and drugs in America is so prevalent. People young and old are tempted by this. We're surprised sometimes when we see, you know, the people arrested for using or especially distributing drugs or making meth or whatever it is, they're pictures pasted on the television sets as they're arrested and all of that. So we're surprised that so, so many of them are old enough to know better. There are plenty of young people, but there are a lot of young people. They're, they're old and young. Substance abuse in America is like this. 13.5% of Americans 12 and over used drugs the last month in an illicit way. You're going to be asking me, I know, why does the statistic start at 12 years old? 
I'll give you three guesses and the two, first two don't count, right? Because that's about the age that these things become a real problem. Twelve in our society. Almost 59 million people, or 21% of people 12 and over, have used illegal drugs or misused prescription drugs within the last year. 20% of our society. 138 million people, or 50% of people aged 12 and over, have illicitly used drugs in their lifetime. 138 million Americans 12 and over drink alcohol regularly. That is, that's their habit, to drink alcohol. 28 million or 20% of them have an alcohol disorder the way medical science defines that. It's a huge problem in our culture. Those statistics alone, which come from National Center for Drug Abuse Statistics, valid statistics, should raise our attention, get our attention, and concern us from the overwhelming amount of people who are involved in the misuse of these substances. The Bible does not address modern drug use or misuse, obviously much to speak of, but it does have a lot to say about intoxication from alcohol. We're not going to spend a lot of time in this lesson defining the problem or talking about, uh, from a biblical standpoint, I should say, um, how the Bible talks about it, but I'll just put out a little bit of information. I've talked about this a lot before here. Uh, But in the Bible, the word wine can be used to refer to something, that a drink that has alcohol in it because it's fermented grape juice that has alcohol in it. It can also be used to refer to simply grape juice that has no alcohol in it, that has not been fermented. I say that, you say, well, preacher, you're you're kidding me. No, I'm not kidding you (laughs) at all. You have uh, in the Bible, in the book of Isaiah, wine in the cluster. In other words, in the grapes, it's called wine. Well, in the grapes, it can't have alcohol in it. That's, uh, you know, an impossibility. Uh, A wine press, that word is used over and over and over again in the Bible. Well, when you press the grapes, wine doesn't come out alcoholic, okay? (laughs) You press them, and then you set it up for a long time, and it ferments, and that makes the alcohol, okay? So when it's being pressed, it's not alcoholic. The very word wine press is, if it were all alcoholic, it would be a misnomer, right? It would be a, a, a contradiction in terms, but that's what it's called. And so all over the Bible, the word wine is definitely used to refer to something that doesn't have alcohol in it. It's also used all over the Bible to refer to something that does have alcohol in it. And that uh, needs to be determined usually by the context. You can tell what kind of wine, if you will, is being talked about. Just another note about Bible wines, and then we'll get on to some of the, I think, more important lesson things for our lesson tonight. Because of the fermentation process, as it occurs naturally... The very most that uh, naturally fermented wine can have as far as alcohol content is somewhere between 8 and 10 percent. 
And if in, the, if in Bible times it had as much as 7 to 10%, it wasn't even called wine anymore. It was called strong drink. You have this word uh, uh, for strong drink. It's found often in the Bible, sometimes called intoxicating liquor or something like that, or intoxicating wine. Most wines had somewhere between 2 to 4% of alcohol content. But most wines today far surpass that. Uh, if you go to some store today and some restaurant or wherever and buy wine, you're going to get wine usually that has 12 to 15% alcohol content in it. So it would be strong drink in the Bible. It wouldn't even be called wine in the Bible. It would be called intoxicating liquor or something like that, intoxicating drink or strong drink in the Bible. That's just a little review of some of the realities concerning the difference between the wine that was drunk in the Bible and the wine that's drunk today. Some that was drunk in the Bible didn't have alcohol at all. Some that was drunk in the Bible, if it had alcohol, it had a lot less than most alcoholic beverages today. But even that alcohol that was drunk in Bible times was enslaving, was addicting. We come to a passage like 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 and 19, which isn't speaking of either alcohol or drugs, but is talking about how lust enslaves us. And the lust for alcohol and drugs, the desire for alcohol and drugs, is enslaving. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 18 in the ESV reads this way. It's talking about evil people who, speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. If you are overcome by alcohol, by a drug addiction, by a nicotine addiction, which is also a drug that you get in cigarettes or tobacco, if you're overcome by those things, you're enslaved by those things. The contemporary English version has this part of this verse really interesting. It says, the, they promise freedom to everyone, but they, are, but they are merely slaves of filthy living because people are slaves to whatever controls them. That is a great translation of that passage. Slaves to filthy living, People are slaves to whatever controls them. Alcohol, illicit drugs, nicotine, all of that is enslaving. And it's not what a Christian wants to be involved in, can't be involved in, to please God. There is a difference, folks, in this world between what's light and what's darkness. Are we going to love the light or we're going to love the darkness. The abuses and misuses of these substances are clear darkness. And that's what I want to talk about tonight. Because these substances, especially the alcohol and illicit drugs, cause intoxication, drunkenness. That's the opposite of spirituality. In Ephesians 5 and verse 15, again here reading from the ESV, the Apostle Paul says, Look carefully then how you walk, 
not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. Be drunk. Don't be drunk with wine. Be filled with the Spirit. And Christians, young, old, all of us, need to look carefully how we walk. Let's be wise in the choices of the things that we engage in. Let's be wise when it comes to the use and misuse of alcohol and other substances. Intoxication, with alcohol at least, if we think about that, is a process. In Galatians 5 and verse 21, we find drunkenness listed in a list of the works of the flesh. The word there is methe from the Greek. And uh, one scholarly definition of it said this concerning the word drunkenness. It said, it describes, and I quote, the entire process of intoxication, not just the last stages. The sin is not just being drunk. The sin is getting drunk. Everybody get that? Somebody says, well, oh, here's a person and, you know, he's out in the gutter and he's passed out and he be drunk. So now he's in sin, right? Wait a minute. (laughs) How did he get there? Well, he was drinking. He was drinking alcohol. How did he get from not being drunk to being drunk? Well, he had to drink some alcohol, probably a lot of it. So that whole process that led him to be drunk is really what's being described by the word that's used in Galatians. It's getting to the point of drunkenness. It's not just the state of being drunk. That's the sin. It's getting drunk. That's the sin. Everybody following that? That's not really all that hard to understand. Intoxication and the process of it is sinful. Intoxication is the opposite of sobriety, and Christians are to be sober. By the very definition of the words, if you're intoxicated, you're not sober. If you're sober, you're not intoxicated. Listen to what the Bible says using these words. Titus 2, verses 1 and 2. As for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men be sober reverent, temperate, temperate, self-controlled when it comes to these things. The word sober in this passage means, literally means, this is from Thayer's Greek lexicon, abstaining from wine either entirely or at least in immoderate use. Then you have 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 6 and 8. Again, listen carefully to Paul's words here. We just pretend like sometimes this doesn't mean what it plainly says. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 6 through 8. Let us not sleep as others do. Let us watch and be sober. Be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober. Don't be drunk. Be sober. That's really plain. Drunkenness is not for Christians. Sobriety is for Christians. Intoxication is the opposite of sobriety. Intoxication 
causes without any doubt or even argumentation from people who themselves drink. Intoxication causes a lot of a loss of self-control. In Galatians 5:23. Uh, there Paul, in talking about the fruit of the Spirit, in self-control, and he says, against such there is no law. There is, you, can have, you can do all the self-control you want to do. There's no law in it. You know, self, against that, there is no law. There's a law against drunkenness. There's a law against getting drunk. And we're going to see a little bit, there's a law in, against drinking. There's no law against self-control. Drinking causes you to lose your self-control. If you drink a little bit, you might only lose a little bit of your self-control. If you drink a lot, you're going to lose a lot of your self-control. We're to add self-control to our faith, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 says. The word that's used there is defined, again, I'm using the definition from Thayer's lexicon. The word there for self-control Thayer says, it's the virtue of one who masters his desires and passions, especially his sensual appetites. So, you can control yourself. Drugs and alcohol take away self-control. I showed a, a picture here in, a few years ago when I was preaching a sermon. I thought about digging it out for this one. But it was a picture of a bottle of beer. Uh, printed on the label, the perfect beer for, for uh, not, what is it, for the perfect beer for not saying no or something like that, you know, for whatever comes next. So it's the whole idea of even the people who sell it are recognizing that you drink this, you're going to lose some, some of your inhibitions. You're going to lose an amount of self-control. In Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 29, the wise man is describing a person who has drunk too much. He says, who has woe, who has sorrow, who has contentions, who has complaints, who has wounds without cause, who has redness of eyes, those who linger long at the wine, those who go in search of mixed wine. How how does a person get into a a fight, wake up with uh, bruises all over themselves, wake up with people, you know, being their enemies. They don't even know why they're enemies. They don't know where these bruises came from. Not only have they, did they lose self-control, they lost all memory, probably, of losing self-control. That's what's being described here. Intoxication profanes our priesthood. In the Old Testament, of course, priests, as they, are, as they engaged in their priestly functions, were forbidden from drinking wine. We in the New Testament are priests. We're not specifically told as priests, you know, when you're doing your priestly duties, don't drink wine, because we're always doing our priestly duties if we're priests of God. We are told in 1 Peter 2 and verse 9, we're a chosen generation. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Would you rather be 
sober or intoxicated? Would you rather have been drinking or not drinking? When you're trying to decide where the straight and narrow gate and way is, when you need to have discernment to determine the way you need to walk in life according would you rather be fuzzy in your head because of alcohol or drugs or be clear-headed enough to make that choice would you rather when you're listening to somebody preach and you're trying to figure out if he's telling you the truth or not would you rather have a clear mind or one that's clouded with drugs or alcohol exercising righteous judgment Worshiping in spirit and in truth. Preaching the word like we talked about this morning. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Taking the Lord's Supper and discerning the Lord's body. Are are any of those things, things that ought to be done in any way when somebody has been, is under the influence? Has had their body chemistry altered? by something that's altering then their mind, their thought processes, their ability to discern. Are we priests of God or aren't we? Are we holy when we serve Him or aren't we? So you have this problem, the sin of intoxication. You know, alcohol by itself, illicit drugs by themselves, They can't make anybody sin. But when you use them and misuse them, you're sinning. In these ways. In these ways. What about the sin of willfully harming the body? The body is to be for the Lord's use and His honor. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Our bodies are for glorifying God. They're the temple of God. And perhaps referring to a different kind of temple, but still the same principle, you see in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 17, Paul saying, if anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. God has given you a temple, your body, don't defile it. If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. How does alcohol, how do illicit drugs destroy the body? Let's think about alcohol first. According to the National Institutes of Health, which I think is a very reputable, authoritative health organization, according to the National Institutes of Health, Uh, When it comes to the brain, alcohol interferes with brain communication pathways, can affect the way a brain works, and can cause permanent damage to the operation of the brain. It affects your liver. Drinking uh, takes quite a toll on the liver, and that's pretty common knowledge, I think, uh, among most people. It can lead to a variety of problems including inflammation, cirrhosis, fatty liver, alcoholic hepatitis, fibrosis, cirrhosis, you know, on and on. Lots of problems there. It can harm the pancreas. Alcohol causes the pancreas to produce a number of toxic substances that lead to things like pancreatitis and so on. It is a leading 
um, factor in quite a number of cancers, including stomach cancer and others. It harms the immune system. All of these proven scientific medical facts. According to the World Health Organization, which again is a fairly reputable organization, alcohol, listen to this, is a causal factor in more than 60 major types of diseases and injuries and results in approximately 2.5 million deaths every year. 2.5 million deaths. That's the World Health Organization's figure. That accounts for more deaths than HIV, AIDS, or tuberculosis in a year. 4% of all deaths worldwide, according to who? According to uh, the World Health Organization, 4% of all deaths worldwide are attributable to alcohol. The harmful use of alcohol, young men, listen to me, is especially fatal for younger, younger age groups. Alcohol is the world's leading risk factor for death among young males. The number one risk factor for death among young males is alcohol. I'm telling you, it's in the darkness. It's a terrible thing. And again, virtually the entire world winks at it, pretends like it's not a problem, you know, takes money from it to support sporting events, it's plastered all over the place as something that's good to do. All because, where's the world again? It's walking in darkness. Alcohol and drugs offer up the body to fulfill the lusts of the flesh. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, it is of the world. It's in the darkness. Why do people engage in these activities? Because of sensual, lustful desires. Desires of the flesh. Living in lust prevents us from having the mind of Christ. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles. I've been looking at several verses, but look at 1 Peter 4 with me for a minute. I, I go to 1 Peter 4 a lot to talk about what's wrong with drunkenness and drinking. But I want to back up in this context with you just a minute and notice uh, something that it's, it's really getting at, maybe that uh, I haven't focused on enough, we haven't focused on enough, reading the passage. The context always helps a lot. 1 Peter 4, started in verse 1. Therefore, since Christ also suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So he's talking about Christ was willing to go through whatever he needed to go through and was able to overcome sin. And if we could do that, we could overcome sin as well. He who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of the time in his flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. So we're not doing those evil desires, those things the world is doing. We're not doing those anymore. We're living for Jesus. For, verse 3, we have spent enough of our pastime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in, guess what? Lewdness, lust, drunkenness, 
revelries, which are wild drinking parties, and then drinking parties, which are like just getting together and drinking. We've spent enough of our time doing that. That is all in the darkness. That all is to be in the past. If we are to be like Christ, have the mind of Christ, that that's what the context is talking about, the mind of Christ who suffered to overcome sin, we can't be doing those things. Drunkenness, revelries, and drinking. Illicit drugs and cigarettes follow a similar path of harming the body. In Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, the Bible states this truism. It's applied to a lot of things in Scripture. But basically, that we reap what we sow. Paul says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. He who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. He who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. What does that have to do with drinking, misusing drugs, smoking tobacco? What does it have to do with that? Well, all three of those things we, we've just proven are things that are, are shown, are things that if you engage in those things, it's going to harm your body. And, and you will, if you live long enough, Reap what you have sown. I have relatives, and probably many of you do as well, who died with liver problems, too, I have, died with liver problems caused, 100% caused, by drinking alcohol. I have performed, performed, if you will, preached the funerals of multiple people who died because of their addiction to nicotine. One was a smoker who told me pretty much on his deathbed that he knew that it was his cigarette smoking over the years that caused his lung cancer, and it killed him. One was one who chewed tobacco, a lady if you will, a woman who chewed tobacco for years and died with a horrible, horrible mouth cancer that ate away. I don't even want to describe it to you. We reap what we sow. Of course, what this passage is talking about is more than just the literal, if you, if you sow this, that's what you're going to reap. You abuse your body, your body's not going to hold up. You're destroying the temple of God. But the passage really is not even aiming at that, of course. It's talking about spiritually. What is true is this. When we focus on the flesh and pleasing our flesh and doing what our flesh wants to do, like drinking alcohol, engaging in drugs because they make us feel good, or we want to experience that high, or whatever it might be, we smoke because we think it looks cool, because we like it. The corruption that we will ultimately reap 
is not physical death. It's spiritual death. That's what Paul's talking about. You sow to the flesh, you'll have the flesh reach, reap corruption. What about the sin of willfully damaging one's influence? In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, Peter begs us. He says, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. You stay away from those fleshly lusts. You stay away from those deeds of darkness that war against the soul, and have your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. That is, you live in this world, you live in such a way that even the people of the world would honor you, would honor the way you behave, would honor the way you act. That when they speak, you against, uh, uh, speak against you as evildoers, they by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Have your conduct honorable, which is to say, if I could break that down, be a good influence. Be a good influence in this world. I'm just going to tell you, you are not going to be a good influence in this world if you are drinking alcohol, misusing drugs, and smoking, or vaping, as the case may be. you're, You're going to submarine your influence. What happens in Genesis 9? You have somebody by the name of Noah, one of the most godly men who ever lived, saved the world, Hebrews tells us, built an ark to the saving of his household, was a man of faith, but planted a vineyard, planted planted a vineyard, made some apparently alcoholic wine, got himself drunk, was uncovered in his tent. Ham goes in and discovers him that way. What happens after that is unpleasant to read. It's shameful. Two of his sons try to cover up the nakedness of their father as they try to help him in his drunken state. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But I just suspect that the way those three sons saw their father for the rest of their lives was much different. It would have had to be, right? Back in 1 Peter 2 that we read a minute ago, 4 rather, that we read a minute ago, we're no longer living to the lusts of men. We're no longer engaging in the drunkenness and the drinking parties and the abominable idolatries. For this very reason, so that our influence will be good what the passage goes on to say. 
drinking and similar sins damage or destroy our influence for godliness. Our ability to help others with counsel and admonition or by example is, is just eliminated when we engage in these kinds of sins. Paul exhorts us in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 5 to walk in wisdom towards those who are outside. Are we walking in wisdom? Are we helping people who are outside of Christ understand what they need to do to be saved, engaging in these kinds of activities? Paul says, let your speech be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. We ought, ought to be able to give counsel, talk to people about our beliefs, convince them, hey, this is the way to go. I was at a church a number of years ago, and the issue of, uh, it's in Limestone County, the issue of voting wet or dry was, you guys remember when that was a, a big deal, whether or not alcohol was going to be allowed to be sold in our communities. And I uh, talked to a lady about that one time who was all for it being sold, who just thought it'd be you know, the best thing ever uh, for alcohol to be sold in our communities. Of course, it's wound up just being the worst thing ever as these um, people who are, have destroyed their lives with alcohol walk up and down the street all the time. Talk to any one of them. But nonetheless, uh, I was talking to a lady back when it was a hot issue, and she says, well, you would be surprised how many people in the church you go to drink. I thought, well, yeah, I would be surprised. I don't know that any of them do, but maybe some of them do. But if they do, they ruin their influence. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness but rather expose them. Ephesians 5 and verse 11. Lastly, I want to think with you about the sin of harming those that we're supposed to love. We are, according to Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12, to do to others as we would have them do to us. And, Jesus says in Matthew 22 and verse 39, that the second of greatest commandments is to love your neighbor as yourself. Are we doing that when we drive under the influence? Oh, I don't mean be legally drunk. I just mean you drink a little bit and it automatically impairs your judgment, your reflexes, all of that that you need to drive safely. Are we considering our neighbors, loving them as ourselves when we get behind the wheel of a car, having had a drink or two or three or four? Obviously not. Obviously not. Driving under, under the influence is the opposite of loving our neighbor. We know all too well here at Eastside the tragedy and the consequences of people who don't love their neighbors and get behind a wheel when they've been drinking. Drinking and drug abuse multiply all sorts of injustices against our neighbors. 
statistics overall, and I won't bore you with all of the facts and figures, but what are the kinds of things that happen because people use drugs, illegal drugs, get themselves high, or, or drink alcohol, get themselves inebriated and intoxicated? What are some, th- some things that happen as a result of that? Domestic violence. Just talk to the policemen. They'll tell you any time, almost every time, they roll up on some domestic violence situation. There's either been drinking or drugs. It brings it about. Breakup of family. Studies have shown that the more a couple drinks, the more they are likely to get a divorce. There's a direct correlation. Misspent paychecks, spending paychecks on cigarettes, alcohol, drugs, when you actually need things in your home. My wife, as you know, many of you prepared taxes for people for years. She had, she never got to tell me all the details of things that was against, you know, the whatever privacy, but I did hear general stories from time to time. About, for instance, somebody that comes in and he owes taxes and he can't pay even to get his taxes done, let alone pay his taxes. And he's a chain smoker. You know, spending probably $100 a month on, a week on cigarettes. Imagine what he could do. He wasn't wasting all that money just burning it up. Drinking, drugs, risky sexual behavior, the the spread of diseases like AIDS and sexually transmitted diseases directly connected to drugs and alcohol. There's, again, a direct correlation. The more you do those things, the more likely you are to have a sexually transmitted disease. And on and on we could go. There's a lot of darkness in this world. that's caused or associated with drugs and alcohol. And I guess the question is, do we love the darkness or the light? People who love darkness, they don't want to hear what I've said tonight. It may be that you have some objection to what I've said tonight. Maybe I've misrepresented something. I've tried not to. I've tried very hard not to. But the reality is, these are deeds of darkness, no matter how you slice it. Wine is a mocker, and strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray is not wise. Whoever led astray by it is not wise. Don't let it lead you astray. Thank you for your good attention tonight. Hope the lesson's been informative, challenging, something that you could use to help yourself, maybe particularly to help others overcome these temptations. The world is full of darkness. It's full of temptation. Christ invites us into the light. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. That's the life I want. I know it's the life that many of you want. If it's the life that you want, but you haven't chosen it yet, now's the time. Why not? Choose to walk in the light in every way. Name Jesus as the Son of God and your Lord and turn away from sin, all sin, and be baptized for the remission of your sin, whatever you need. We'd ask you to come while we stand and sing.